It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 2, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. that's K-I-S-T. Joined, as always, by the incomparable Kyle Posey at KP underscore show on Twitter. Uh, Kyle, when we set up the idea for this show, the aim was to be... We would review coaches' film all Monday night. We would review the film during the day on Tuesday and and come away with some things to talk about at a deeper level. And we're still going to do that to a degree on this show, no doubt. But if you're an NFL Game Pass subscriber, and that's what you're counting on for access to that coaches' film, brother, we are blind right now. And there's a a hero that has emerged in the Twitter streets as our friend Justice Mosqueda is holding the NFL hostage, the (laughs) hero of the day. He tweeted out, for every hour that the NFL doesn't put out their All-22, a new NFL playbook gets leaked by this account. And then he puts up the Arizona Cardinals offensive passing concepts from 2019. <laughs> so if you would like some free playbooks, go to at Jumos, that's J-U-M-O-S-Q, and uh, get yourself something free. Kyle, man, this is expected considering the quality of uh, the Game Pass product, right? Imagine just withholding tons. I imagine there's thousands of people that are waiting to watch this. Like my life, dep- like my Wednesday content depends on the All-22. Like I, yep. I want this bad, and I'm sure... There are hundreds of other people like me. Um, the NFL is blackballing us, and we need to do something about it. It's weird because the NFL, like during training camp, and you can't report certain things, and you can't, you know, teams don't want you to, you know, tweet out what formations they're in, like the Green Bay Packers did during their camp. It feels like the NFL doesn't want anyone covering them except for the NFL. And this is just another piece of that. But we are going to do the best that we can on this show. Of course, we watch the broadcast version, and there's plenty of takeaways from that. Like, the All-22 is kind of a flex. We understand what we're watching. There's just certain things you don't necessarily see. You get All-22 replays and some of the broadcast versions anyway. So we're going to go through this. And this is going to be a little bit different than our first show. Obviously, the first show being a film review show, we had to set some things up. On this one, we're going to look at what happened. We're also going to dial back. So we're going to talk you know, some top quarterback performances, some quarterback performances we didn't like, some top defensive players from the week. We'll look back at the, uh, the, the notes that we had on the New York Giants offensive line battle against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which if you saw that, you know how it went. And we'll also look at the Cardinals upset of the 49ers, which we talked about being a possibility last week as well. So let's dig right in. Let's get into our top quarterback performances of the week. We need to find a fancy name for this, but I'll go through uh, my first one here. Number one for me on the week was Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, 32 for 44, 364, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That is a bonkers stat line. And look, you put up 43 points against Mike Zimmer's defense who really, they only have like one of those games, like maybe once a year, those types of collapses. You put it on them like that in week one, I got to put you at the top slot. And it didn't start out as a huge day. Their first three drives were field goal, turnover on downs, field goal. And they worked a ton of quick hitting concepts. There was low depth of target, just pecking away. And then you really saw Rodgers turn it on at the very end of the half. 40 seconds left in the half, second and nine. Packers run a spot concept or snag, whatever you want to call it. So you've got two short routes and a deep corner on the same side. Rodgers easily could have taken the check down and hurried to the line or called the timeout. He ends up creating on his own. Rolls to his right, throws a laser to Devontae Adams, 24-yard touchdown, up 15-7, right? So that's immediately followed by my man Jair Alexander picking off Kirk Coupons on a deep comeback. It was a poor throw from Cousins behind uh, Adam Thielen, if I'm not mistaken. Nice play by Jair. That sets up the Packers at the Vikings 45. There's 21 seconds left. They have the lead. 
Vikings come out in quarters coverage. Rodgers finds Marquez Valdez-Scantling one-on-one on the outside against the rookie Cameron Dantzler. And look, Dantzler runs a 4-6-4. MVS runs a 4-3-7. Though in a foot race, that's a mismatch all day. Dantzler does a poor job not squeezing the route to the sideline, right? That imaginary red line. And if he's even, he's leaving. Rodgers puts one in the bucket. So what you saw from Rodgers overall was a nice job working in structure early in the game, didn't put the ball in risky spots, and then opening it up when the shots were there. He finished with five completions over 20 yards in the air for 186 yards, two touchdowns, and one drop on those throws. Marvelous game from Rodgers, and you might see some peaks and valleys from Rodgers this year, but he's still very capable of having days like these, and when he does, it's very special. And Kyle, before I move on to number two, what, what is your general feel of Rodgers at this stage in his career? Because he's a polarizing player. Do you think he's got a big run in him uh, with, with a top five season maybe? Or do you think he kind of comes down to earth throughout the season and experiences more of that roller coaster vibe? I'd imagine we see more of a roller coaster type player. I think he played out of his mind. Like he blacked out on some of these throws. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. So that that throw to Scantling, I thought Dancer, well, like he did get beat initially. I thought he made a really nice recovery. But yes. there was just – Rodgers put the ball in the only place that he could put it. And then on the rollout to Adams, like that was just like a what-the-hell throw. Like, come on, man. Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do about that? So 20 yards on throws over 20 yards to the right side. Rodgers goes four of six, 148 yards, two touchdowns. Like, that is really tough to beat. Like, you have to – and a lot of these throws, as I mentioned, he's just putting the ball where the defender cannot make a play. There are going to be, as we saw last year, there are going to be times where Rodgers is off and with a lack of threats at receiver, that's going to hurt the offense. So I imagine we see more of a, I don't want to say middling, but he will come back down to earth. But man, he just you just have to give him his credit for this last week because he just played out of his mind. He looked like the Rodgers that we are. He looked like the Rodgers that people who don't like Rodgers hate to give credit for. Like he was just the man. And there's just... Yeah, there's not much to say other than that. Yeah, you can't say anything about it. It was like you said, it was like one of those blackout performances where just everything is hitting. And, and speaking of big time performances, I'm going to go right to my number two quarterback performance of the week. This goes to Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson. So the guy goes 30 for 34 with two freaking drops. Like what else do you need me to tell you? Add four touchdowns. The guy breaks the 4,000 yard rushing mark for his career in this game. And look at what he did under pressure. This is per PFF. Wilson was pressured on 41% of his dropbacks. That's a lot. He went 10 for 12. And by the way, those two drops I mentioned are in this bucket. 134 yards. And the play of the game for me was Pete Carroll nutting up and going for it on fourth and five from the Atlanta 38 third quarter. It's a 14 to 12 ball game. Like this is the exact scenario where the Seahawks would normally punt and keep their opponent in the game or kick, try to kick a field goal and, and have yet another one score game against an inferior opponent. They do it time and time again in the past, but not this time. DK Metcalf beats his man, Isaiah Oliver with physical hands on the release gets the stack. Wilson throws a perfect over the shoulder boulder holder for the touchdown. And they never look back in that game. That should be the wake-up moment for this coaching staff to say, hey, maybe we should think about scoring more and having a little faith in Russ to make us look smart, right? It's not hard, Kyle. That, that guy throws probably the prettiest passes in the NFL. Yes. It is unreal. And just as you mentioned, like he, he dropped back 39 times. And I feel I don't I don't have the stats on this, but I imagine that is probably one of the career highs for Russell Wilson, especially when they have the lead early, because normally they would di they would dial it back from there. Yeah, like he he came out of the gate throwing, and Pete Carroll's like, "Oh wow, he can throw. Let's do this some more." And that just happened time and time again. And it seemed like whenever well, whenever the ball is in his hands, 
good things are going to happen. Like you're, the offense is at your best when Ru- the ball is in Russell Wilson's hands. And he showed that time and time again, man. Just I just hope that Pete Carroll's not trolling and we get to see Russ drop <laughs> back over 30 times a game because they have weapons. They are going to be fun to watch. Yes, the offensive line is still a mess and he's going to have to create for himself, speaking of Russ, but that that's what you're paying for. Like he's the he's one of the best players in the NFL. You should trust him to create. And yeah, it's just it's just really fun to see him open up and just the trajectory that he puts on those deep passes. I mean, I just can't get over that. Russell Wilson is one of the funnest players in the league to watch when your favorite team is not playing him. When you're playing him, he is freaking annoying, dude. Just I I can't I can't stand watching him in that case. All right, let's go to number three. Super efficient day for the reigning MVP. Lamar Jackson, 20 for 25, 275, three touchdowns through the air, did it while under pressure, did it from the pocket. I mean, I got to confirm when the All-22 comes out, but I'm not sure that the guy made a wrong read all game. And like even the fumble was like a forward pass and and Ingram hit him right in the chest and he fumbled it. And, you know, if they don't call that, it could have been a touchdown or maybe they would have reviewed it. But like that wasn't even a poor play from him. And look at the accuracy metrics for this guy. Pro Football Focus has him at an 87.5% adjusted completion percentage on the game, fifth out of 32. Next Gen Stats, his expected completion percentage was 64. He completed 80%. That's the second best differential in the league for the week one slate. So for the naysayers that are still clutching those pearls, you've got an accurate, smart, dynamic passer that can create with his legs, is loved by his teammates, he's ultra competitive. He puts in the work that it takes to be great. You can go ahead and at me at Michael Kist NFL on Twitter. Tell me what I'm missing. Let's have a discourse because I'm getting tired of explaining all the different ways this guy is great. And I'm pretty sure, Kyle, you're going to back me up on this one. So he's getting better. Yeah. If you just watch yesterday or Sunday, he's getting better as a quarterback, which is terrifying. And I'm already annoyed because we're going to have to keep talking about this over and over again. So Lamar drop back. I believe it was. So he, he completed 20 passes and he had 16 of those went for first downs. I love to mm. just simplify the game. When you are moving the chains that effectively, that efficiently, there's just nothing you can do. And he has these runs where he'll he'll have a three-yard run. Well, he, he will just like break down ankles. He will make you miss like three three different guys. You just, there's just nothing you can do. He always extends a play when he has to, but he's looking to throw the ball. And for whatever reason, people are not giving him that credit. I, it just seems like he has no interest in giving up that MVP title. And uh, again, watching him as a pocket passer was a thing of beauty against the Browns. I can't. I, I, just go watch. If you're a doubter, go watch that game. Tell me that guy can't throw an accurate ball from the can't can't read a defense. What Bill Polian's crapping himself over that. Anyway, <laughs> let's go. Let's let's go on the opposite side here. Let's get a little negative because we are the palpably unfair podcast. We're going to tell you why your team and your quarterback stinks. We're going to talk about some duds of the week for the quarterback position. And look. I could easily self-report as a Bleeding Green Nation producer and host and whatnot and talk about Carson Wentz. I could also talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We could do that. I'm sure Kyle has talked about it on Niners Nation as our dud of the week, right? Because of the expectations relative to the performance for both. Wentz obviously had a worse week than Jimmy G, but I've beaten him up on multiple shows already across multiple feeds. So I'm going to let that dead horse rest in peace after a quick word. Like Wentz made a bad situation worse, ultimately folded under the enormous pressure coming after him. Jimmy G, for his part, fell flat without a ton of yak to prop him up and was shockingly inaccurate for stretches of the game. Those two definitely, based on what we knew of them, performed well under expectations. So recognizing that, I'm actually going to go with Sam Darnold from the New York Jets, not because the expectations are high. They aren't. But he looked like a lost puppy against the Bills. 
He had an abysmal interception on the scramble that was uh, extremely ill-advised. And I, I really do think I'm just ready to call it on this guy. And it's not all his fault. There is plenty of blame to pass around. We know that, right? But, but in part of that situation with Adam Gase, I just think he's damaged goods. And he is never going to blossom and live up to this draft slot because of this super wonky start of his career, the coaching he's gotten, the supporting staff. It's none, none of it's there for him. I mean, it's not hard to see. So I'm calling it. Turn in your Darnold jersey. Move the team to Toronto. Start a new life with Joe Douglas. Kyle, let's, uh, any thoughts on that or you want to get to your dud of the week? I mean, when you roll left and throw the ball across your body to the, <laughs> to the right side of the field, that that is yankable like that is like you just what are we doing here why like why do we not Patrick Mahomes defending him yes yeah his decision making has been a problem since he came out of college and he hasn't developed that yes he does not have receivers to throw the ball to yes he's not in the great the most quarterback friendly offense but he's not making good decisions and eventually as we've seen he's making the offense pay for it so I I don't I don't understand you know what we're doing here he just has to make better plays, and that's not happening. Let's go with uh, your guy. Let's crap on somebody else. Who you got? So, <laughs> speaking of crapping, Browns, OBJ, uh, Baker Mayfield. As we, <laughs> as I just said, if you want to simplify things, as for a quarterback, make things easy. Baker Mayfield had 21 completions, only for 189 yards. He averaged 4.8 yards per attempt. Only 10 of those went for first downs and we talked about adjusted accuracy so we just talked about russ and lamar completing like upwards to 88 percent baker's adjusted accuracy was 66 percent he threw a terrible interceptions that actually went through someone else's hands before the actual defender caught it he's late he's missing out routes late and inside he doesn't have much velocity at all throwing the ball down the field his timing with obj man it's just off they don't have very good chemistry I don't know what to say about Baker. I wasn't a fan of him coming out. I, I But it's not like when you say that, because me and you, we both watched the draft. It's not like when they get into the NFL, we're rooting against him. Like, I would love to be wrong about these guys. But Baker, man, he just doesn't have much velocity, and he just doesn't have the athleticism he thinks he has, which is a big problem because he's running out of clean pockets. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't have very good patience in the pocket, and he's just not giving his receivers much of a chance down the field. And it's the, the Cleveland's going to have to wake up pretty soon here and realize that he's just not the answer. Yeah, see, look, I cared nothing for my pre-draft narratives as much as Bills Mafia will say that I do. I really don't. I was a big Baker Mayfield guy, nicknamed him, you know, Bucephalus, all this stuff. Oh. And, you know, I, I, I watched the Browns expecting it to be all bad from Baker Mayfield. And, and let's be real, he was bad. But he's a dud because I just don't see this ever clicking for the Browns. He has, you mentioned it, he has zero chemistry with Odell Beckham Jr., Kevin Stefanski was uninspired in his debut, and my issue is even when it's not Baker, there is something rotten happening on nearly every play somewhere on the field. So you might get a bad read from Baker on one play and a bad throw on another, but then you get a sloppy drop on another, a blown pass protection on the next, and a guy just gets whooped on the next one. There's something breaking down on every play for the Browns offense, and you can fix the AC in 11 but you still got a lemon for a car. And that's the Browns right now. One big fat lemon broken down on the side of the road. And it might be time to send it to the scrap heap because I'll tell you this, Baker may never again have a set of playmakers like he's had for the last year plus, And they aren't even getting out of the driveway with this thing. And you could say this is premature based off one game against an elite defense. I get that. But I'm telling you right now, for as entertaining as Baker Mayfield is, the player of the human to me, I don't think he's the guy to put in the work to turn this around. So 
time to sell the Browns big time. Kyle, anything to add before we uh, go to break? No, he's been the same player that we've seen in each this each of the three years that he's been in the NFL. Yes, it's just one game, but it's just repeating every game, it seems like. And I'm, and that's a really good point about his supporting cast. Like, Darnold would kill to have those <laughs> receivers. And probably some of the other quarterbacks that we would that we were going to talk about eventually on the season. Yeah. But I mean, if you can't if you can't come through with OBJ Landry, Najoku went down, but Chubb is good, really good running back. Their offensive line is not bad. Mm-hmm. So you, you cannot ask for a better supporting cast and he's just not making it happen. All right. So when we come back from break, we've already talked about the quarterbacks that we loved and disliked from the first week of NFL action. We're going to kick it to Kyle's specialty. We're going to go to the defensive MVPs of the week, and then we'll dial back on some things. We'll talk some Giants. We'll talk some Steelers. We'll talk some Cardinals some Niners, and we'll see what else we get into here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. That's coming up next. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, episode two, SB Nation, bringing it to you, Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. So Kyle, this is kind of where I defer to your specialty. You're a defensive-minded type of guy. I went through my top you know, quarterback performances of the week. Let's go with your top defensive MVPs. We're going to pick three of them. We're going to go at each level of the defense. So we're going to go in trenches, we're going to go to the linebackers, and then we're going to pick a defensive back. So for your First one, let's stick it with the trenches and let's go to Washington. Who you got? Yeah, Chase Young, man. He, what a debut for that rookie. And there are high expectations when you're drafted as high as he was, but he did not disappoint at all. He was, and you watch this, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure all Eagles fans are already fed up with Chase Young. But talk about disruptive, man. He he was. It seemed like he was living in Philadelphia's backfield. He had five stops on the day. He also created two forced fumbles. So when you get in the backfield, that's one thing. But to be a playmaker and to create plays like he was doing, that speaks to like the star that Young is probably going to be. I believe he had another quarterback hit. I think he finished with a couple sacks. He was just everywhere, man. He's just a bulldozer. He's the guy that you want your – if you are riding a bus to the stadium, that is the first player you want to get off the bus because he's a giant human being. He just chiseled muscles, but he runs through guys and he looked like he has a plan as a pass rusher, which a lot, not a lot of rookies do. So it was good to see him win both inside, both outside, and honestly through the left tackle. Like he made, and Jason Peter at this age is probably not is not the same player that he was, but he just he just had his way with Jason Peters. It was really impressive to see. Chase Young play. What was your take on Chase Young? It's exactly as advertised. I mean, I expected him to beat up Jason Peters a bit. Jason Peters because he's having trouble getting out of his stance and like his hallmark used to be athleticism and it's just not there for him anymore. Chase Young was supposed to eat. He did eat. I have no problem with that. Two sacks in the debut and a couple forced fumbles. Yeah, that's a good game for anybody against anybody in the NFL. So pretty solid debut for the second overall selection, and he's going to terrorize teams in the NFC division and the NFC East uh, for years to come. Let's go to the second level. Your guy is a linebacker that I think might be one of the most underrated cats in the league. Talk to him about Levante David of the Bucks, Kyle. My goodness, man. David, he was coming downhill at every opportunity, and he just seemed to make play after play after play. So he finished with four. He had four stops of those seven tackles. He's just in the backfield. He had When he did rush the passer, he had one QB hit, and he's just taking away routes. So he was targeted twice. He only gave up one reception for 10 yards, but I don't believe targets tell the whole story. So he is undercutting these routes, and he's taking away routes, so the quarterback can't get there. But as a run defender, I just think he's aggressive, fitting, and then he's just not giving up much of anything, so the the offense doesn't have anywhere to run. Just super aggressive, and I, he had it seemed like he made multiple multiple plays in the backfield. So Levante David, I, I've been talking to a couple of guys about this. He's and I'm glad you brought it up. I don't know if he's underrated because it feels like we say that every year about him. He's just <laughs> a really freaking good football player. 
but it was just good to see him go against a very good offense and just he just stood out to me. I, I love watching him play. Yeah, I just think from a national perspective, he could be talked about more as one of those top tier linebackers. I know guys like me and you and guys that we talk with in the DMs and whatnot recognize his talent level, but that's hey. That's why we're on this show. Not to be egotistical, but hey, that's, that's what happens. All right, <laughs> let's go to the third level. Let's go to the defensive backs. For the third level, your defensive MVP, you've got a rookie in the mix, one that was a bit polarizing in the draft Twitter circle. Talented player, no doubt, though, came with a great athletic skill set. Tell us about this gentleman's week. Who is it? Yeah, so CJ Henderson from the Jaguars really stood out to me, and I almost went with an, a Tampa Bay cornerback, but I thought Henderson – was all around good on every level, on every aspect that you want for a cornerback. So he was targeted 10 times, gave up six receptions for 47 yards, which might seem like a lot, but a few of those came in the two-minute drill, so not too worrying. And he had one interception, which was a trap coverage, very good design. He hit it well, but he finished the play. Also broke up a couple other passes. On, it's not like he's just breaking up vertical routes where he's just running straight. He's broke up an out route where he drove through T.Y. Hilton, who's a burner, and he also broke up another pass crossing the middle and more importantly, the big issue coming out of college was he's just not interested in making any sort of contact with you at all. So he yeah. had one stop where he came up, made a stop against Jonathan Taylor, which in the open field, which is very, very difficult to do. As we've seen, I believe Taylor's probably going to be the starting running back for the Colts and he's going to be very good. So that was good to see. He also came up on a short crosser that was coming through his zone and he made the stop on third and four. So it was nice to see uh, CJ Henderson mix it up and be physical. But, I mean, coverage skills, not really – people really didn't doubt him. It was more of him just putting it all together, and it was just a hell of a debut for Henderson. Did you get a chance to watch him at all? I haven't seen him yet, but I know for a fact that Eric Crocker is smiling right now. Another guy that covers the 49ers, former pro, yeah. and played, played in the AFL and whatnot. He was a big Henderson guy. He was actually his CB1, so I'm sure it's just putting a smile on his face that you're saying that. And look, Anderson, definitely talented. You were right. The questions about him coming out of college, not being interested in tackling him, taking down Taylor like that. I'm actually that's going to be something that I go to right away and watch after we're done here. I didn't believe right, so, it, by the way. So that's the three defensive MVPs, Chase Young, Levante David, CJ Henderson for the week. Now we're going to kind of dial back because what we did in week one, as I said before in the show, in our first episode, we didn't have anything to review. So we were trying to set some things up. And one of the things that we set up was the New York Giants against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that was in the Pupcast number one, the battle on the edges. We're talking Andrew Thomas, the rookie, Cam Fleming for the Giants against TJ Watt and Bud Dupree of the Steelers. If you saw the game, I say last night, but that we're recording on Tuesday night, you know exactly what we're talking about as far as being an absolutely game wrecking disadvantage. And it didn't just show up in the passing game. They were all over the run. Like, 15 carries, six yards for Saquon Barkley. Everyone's seen the stat, but like Joe Judge says that, you know, they're not going to give up on the run there in New York. And like, yeah, you shouldn't. And I, I'm a passing guy saying that, but here's the thing. He might want to reconsider how his running game functions because he is telegraphing everything. And if he's telegraphing to a Joe Schmo like me, he's telegraphing like heck to the other NFL defensive coordinators around the league. You can't come out in 13 personnel, run stretch every time, and expect different results. They know they're better than you, and they're going to kick your butt. You got to hide the looks, diversify the run game, or you're just slamming your head against the wall. They got dominated up front by an elite defensive line, but that's no excuse for exacerbating things by putting your offense at a deficit with the most predictable looks that I saw in week one. Is the worst run game the entire week from top to bottom, from scheme to execution. And also, let's not take anything away from the Pittsburgh Steelers because... They were in full-on attack mode 
playing fantastic team defense against the run. TJ Watt mentioned it after the game, said it was about who could get there first. And speaking of first, like watch the first play of the game. It was a typical 13 personnel stretch from the Giants. Watt sets the edge, uh, Stefan to it. I think he was trying to get reached block. He defeats that. Vince Williams fires his gun, shoots in, and it turns into Tremaine Edmonds, the safety, who was darting in from the backside pursuit. Multiple guys make this play, and they are flying, they are hunting, they are swarming, and they did it all night. Like Bud Dupree, dude, he might have been the best player on the field Monday night for either game. He just like snorted some jet fuel, <laughs> doused himself in like deer antler spray because he looked like he was playing from another dimension. And you got guys like Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, like I mentioned, TJ Watt, Tyson Alwalu was kicking butt. It's crazy to see a line lose a guy like Javon Hargrave and still play at a level that is bonkers elite. It seemed like the Steelers smelled blood really early and then yeah. from there – they're like, yeah, we're going to do whatever we want to. And there's nothing that you can do about it. As far as Jason Garrett goes, he needs to have a shot caller on. And whenever he calls back to back runs, that just needs to buzz, just buzz him because it's <laughs> it's you're not helping anybody. You have a very young quarterback and he's going to need defined reads. So instead of maybe running the ball on first down every time you get an opportunity, why not run play action? Just give him give him a chance, man. I thought there were a few drives that I did like, but overall, there's just they're not giving him they're not giving Jones much of a chance to succeed. And the Steelers really fed off that. They I mean, they were able, as you said, they were able to do what they wanted to. And it was really impressive. Remember when I asked you last week about TJ Watt? Is he going to is he as good as he <laughs> is he as good as we think? Well, turns out he is pretty good. Yeah, he had a great game. And look, I'm blaming Joe Judge, but you're right. It's Jason Garrett, too, the offensive coordinator. But I will blame Joe Judge directly for some decision-making because early in the game, they punted from inside the 50. There's a muff punt. They recover it, and they end up kicking like a field goal. I think it was. I think they were inside the five. Like it, For me, it was like a, a net negative 11 points of, of a possibility there for him. So some real cowardice happening in New York, and they got to get things figured out offensively. The one thing I will say that I did find as a positive is I think I, I saw Saquon Barkley line up either out wide or in the slot more in a single game than I had ever seen in my life. They need to get him more of the, more involved in the in the passing game that way. He's very good at it. If they can find a way to do that, they might be cooking with something. Okay, let's go to the uh, the last topic here. We're going to go to something near and dear to Kyle's heart. We're going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. So we'll talk about the 49ers defense against the Cardinals offense specifically, which is something that we talked about on the podcast number one. I said that this is an intriguing matchup for me because the improvements that we saw from the Cardinals from year to year, one historically uh, great from year to year from the Cardinals. Kyler Murray, very good quarterback, and he proved it on Sunday. So when, when you saw the way that the Cardinals attacked the, the, the 49ers, how did you see that unfold? Why were the Cardinals successful in your opinion? So DeAndre Hopkins is very good at football. Let me start <laughs> with that. And the 49ers, for whatever reason, did not make life difficult for Hopkins at all. They did not really press him at the line of scrimmage. It seemed like they came into the game assuming that Hopkins would line up on the opposite side of Richard Sherman and they would be content with that. That did not right. happen. Cliff Kingsbury did a very good job of just moving Hopkins around the formation because the 49ers, their way of countering that was – for Sherman, who usually lines up on the left side, to sometimes play the field. And he did that quite a bit, but that wasn't enough. Like the, the Cardinals figured that out within three plays and were able to adjust. So 
They had the nickel corner on Hopkins. They were able to use motion, short splits, just get him open and where he was able to kind of sit down in zones. Kyler had, I mean, it helps when you have a quarterback that can make all the throws, specifically some throws that most quarterbacks cannot make. He had a he threw a 15 yard out route from the far hash. That is just like, wow, man, that you just can't do much about that. But those were the type of plays that the Cardinals were creating. And the 49ers defense is constructed where they have to get pressure up front. That did not happen. There was Nick Bosa and pretty much nobody else. They have a lot invested in their defensive line between Eric Armstead, $75 million contract, D Ford, $85 million contract. And they put up donuts, man. And that just can't happen. So Kyler did a very good job. And he he does run into pressure, but he also escapes a lot of pressure. I mean, we just saw what it looks like when a 4-3 athlete is playing quarterback with a rocket arm. He's, he's a very good player. So I'm going to leverage your expertise for some news that dropped today since we actually get a chance to react to something before the other shows uh, uh, shows do. There's news that Debo Samuel is probably more uh, in trouble with his foot than expected. There's been a setback and there's also been a signing. Do you want to update and give your take on what's going down with that? Yeah. So Samuel was supposed to come back week one. Now that's what we were saying. He was, his goal was to return week one. He had a setback last week and that's why he went on the IR. The 49ers are going to travel. So there was no real reason for Samuel to remain on the active roster so they can open up a roster spot. So to replace him and the expectation is for Samuel to return, return week four against the Eagles. So that'll be fun, a Monday night game, I believe. But they signed Mohamed Sanu, and we're going to see what he can do because the offense without Samuel and Ayuk, they just did not look – they just didn't look like they can do much of all. We talk, You've talked about Garoppolo, and Garoppolo just looked like a player that really didn't know where to go with the football. He did not look like a player that was comfortable in the pocket at all, and he just missed receiver after receiver. It was maddening to the point where there was consecutive plays where receivers are jumping up and down, waving their arms, and he's – nope. Nope, just, you know, spinning in the pocket, which is beautiful. Like he's just he's giving people so much material to make fun of him. And it's it's all justified because he's not playing well. And yes, it was one game, but it was also against the Cardinals and the Cardinals do not have a good pass defense. So we're going to see what Muhammad Sanu can bring. Yes, he's played with Kyle Shanahan. He is supposed to be a big slot receiver. I don't know if that's the type of receiver that they need right now. He's a veteran. He knows it. But. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he can do that somebody else on the on the roster cannot do. I'm gonna hit you with another impromptu question because I saw a, a rookie really struggle in that game from the Cardinals, despite them getting a win. The first round rookie for the Cardinals, Isaiah Simmons. Is there anybody in the league better at picking at linebackers and making them show their butts than Kyle Shanahan? Because it was a rough day for Simmons from what I saw. I felt bad for him, man. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as he took the field, like he was barbecue chicken. There was nothing that he could do. So he's this big, crazy athlete, and that's why he got drafted. That's why he got drafted so high. But if you like really watch Simmons, you could tell like he's not a guy that's gonna succeed in man coverage. And the Cardinals, what do they do? They put him in man coverage. So first, like one of the initial plays was Mostert running a little Texas route where he's in the backfield. He's gonna run at an angle, act like he's going one direction. He's going to cut to the inside. Simmons over-pursued like he did plenty of times. And I remember this play against North Carolina specifically where he did that, but he did it again and he's just toast. You're not going to catch most of it. I don't care who you are. And then he did it a couple other times where he ended up playing 18 snaps and he got benched. Like they didn't put him back into the game. And that's really what turned the game around for the Cardinals because 
49ers were having a lot of success underneath on these quick slants, and these quick throws to the running backs and tight ends. And then Simmons leaves. They, they stop running man coverage. They revert to more of a softer zone. And the 49ers really didn't have an answer. Yeah, you get this rambunctious wit behind the ears rookie in there that thinks he can cover coming out of college. And guys, Shanahan uh, totally exposed him and gave him something to go watch and say, watch that film, young man, and uh, we'll see if you improve the next time around, man. It was tough. Leading up to the game, they were calling him the Kittle Stopper. Yeah, they might have to lower those expect expectations a little bit. I think Simmons is going to be fine. Yeah. But, man, that's a tough draw. Like, we talked about tough draws with, like, Andrew Thomas getting, like, you know, Bud Dupree or TJ Watt, like, the first game. Like, that's tough. You know, any linebacker going up against Kyle Shanahan, and, and trust me, I know I'm fearing it for, like, Nate Gary in Philadelphia <laughs> when they come to town. Any linebacker going up against Kyle Shanahan is going to have his hands full, and it's a, it's a shame that that's your first game as a rookie. Don't let it get in your head, Isaiah. You'll be fine. All right. So that's going to do it for the Palpably Unfair podcast number two. Kyle, any last thoughts before we get out of here? No, and a lot of fans were complaining, and, and I imagine this is for all team, about the lack of preseason, but that is not why your team lost. Your team did not <laughs> perform well. There are no excuses. Everybody had plenty of controlled scrimmages. They made mistakes, and that's why they lost. I wanted to leave you with that. <laughs> Love it. So. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed to the feed. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, leave a written review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what your favorite shows are, who your favorite hosts are, who you hate the most. Throw it all out there. We are open to the constructive criticism, and we are, of course, open to some praise as well. So just leave it in there. Subscribe, and trust me, it'll get better as we go along. If you didn't like it, at least that's what I'm going to promise you, and it's probably empty. I've been Michael Kist. That has been Kyle Posey. This has been the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode 2, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. Go dominate and have yourselves a day. <laughs>